listening to Nerds on Film with Brian Moriarty, Sarah Ashley, Sean Moriarty, and Roxy Noberry. And we're back. And we're, and we're back. back, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Welcome to KGO's Nerdonomy Hour. Are you tired of listening to AM radio? Well, listen to us instead. <laughs> and cue the fart noise. <laughs> <laughs> Sean's probably going to actually put a fart noise. Take more margaritas. Take more margaritas. Wow. Dude, okay, isn't that like Kevin Smith's ringtone or something? The, the ooh-ah, ooh-ah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so good. Okay, you guys, I have to talk about Gone Girl. Okay. All I right. need to talk about Gone Girl. I mean, it's kind of established fact that I'm a David Fincher fanatic. Yes. Like, Agreed. Let's, let's... If you guys want to... I don't know just how hardcore of a Fincher fan she is. Go back to our Fincher episode. I love Brad Pitt 624. It was a real thing. It was my AOL <laughs> screen name for a couple years there. Oh, <laughs> Roxy. <laughs> yeah. Well, that being said, uh, Gone Girl is his newest film. And it is based off of a novel written by Gillian Flynn in 2012. And she actually adapt- made the adapted screenplay around Good. the same time. So Sweet. Fincher had approached her, said, you know, I love your novel. Let's just go for this. If anything, actually, uh, Reese Witherspoon is the original kind of producer. She was the producer hmm. for it, yeah. Yeah. So basically, she was kind of one of the original um, advocates for the film to get made. And so I'm sure there was a lot of you know interplay there. But Fincher basically approached Gillian Flynn and said, hey, I want to you know adapt you your novel to the truest form. I love it. I want to stick to it. Let's go for it. And there's actually some interesting factoid about that, that when she was writing the adapted screenplay, she wanted to keep to the spirit of the book, Mm -hmm. but she slightly altered the ending. And so she wanted to give the fans of the book a chance to be surprised by the film in a good way. In a really good Mm. way. And I read what the discrepancy was. And honest to God, it's not that big of a deal. They didn't completely change the plot or anything. They just sort of changed the, I want to say setting or circumstance as to where the the and the, 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 the characters end up in the same way the, okay. the film ends the same way the book does um but it just it, the the setting of the scene the final scene is different okay That's and I, I guess that was just you know a thematic choice right sure. well i'm glad that there is an author out there who first off is bold enough to want to adapt their story themselves mm-hmm. that does not happen very often i wish that a writer should be more bold about right? that this is her first screenplay yeah totally mm-hmm. Um, and yet also makes the concessions that, you, that yes, there are going to need to be things that change because you're dealing with the film medium. Mm-hmm. And I also love that. I love that she says, hey, mm-hmm. if I do it exactly like the way the book is, mm-hmm. the people who know the book will probably still appreciate it, but they won't, be, they won't have anything fresh to take from it. Exactly. And I love that, that she took that it's, approach. It's yeah. the Walking Dead approach. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Also it's, Game of Thrones to an extent yeah. mm, as well. Very good point. You want to talk about creative freedom and you want to talk about using the author of source material as a creative consultant. Yeah. In this regard, Gillian Green had a lot of say and a lot of push. And Flynn, um, I'm sorry, Gillian Flynn. Thank you. Um, had a lot of uh, contributions to make, and that's just how awesome Fincher was as a director to say, mm-hmm. "Hey, I'm putting faith in you completely. I'm still going to put my twist on it because I'm going to say this: the first half of the film was a very surrealist experience. I almost felt like I was watching Twin Peaks." And I was okay. out with my buddy Kyle, who's a really big Twin Peaks David Lynch fan. Mm-hmm. David Lynch fan, excuse me. And um, that's all he kept saying. It's like Twin Peaks. It's like Twin Peaks. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> it was too perfect. The whole beginning of the film, it, it's, it's setting up a story about a couple. You know, you've got Amy and um, uh, I'm just totally... Ben Hoofleck. Ben Hoofleck. Ben Hoofleck. So you've, you've got Ben Affleck and Rosamund Pike. And they play this couple, right? And basically the whole thing is is that it's their fifth wedding anniversary. And on the day of the anniversary, the wife goes missing. And it starts off this whole police investigation mm-hmm. to go find her. Um, and, you know, there's this whole mystery surrounding it. Turns out that there are clues left. And the clues are actually pertaining to the anniversary gift that, you know, she's leading him to. And, uh, it, it, you know, ties into the mystery of where she is really beautifully. Mm-hmm. But the whole character that um, Rosamund Pike plays. Her name's Amy, right? Such a dynamic and strange and too perfect. She starts out as like a Stepford wife Mm. and you're immediately like disturbed by it. That's how compelling the character really is. Like you are not okay with her being perfect and you realize toward Mm -hmm. toward the end and how the film progresses just why you're so uncomfortable. Because I want to compare... Rosamund Pike's performance as Amy to that of um, 
Anthony Perkins as Norman Bates. Oh wow! Okay. That's how disturbing it gets. Wow! Wow! Okay. Huh. Well, and so it's it's yeah. interesting because um, Reese Witherspoon has kind of gone out and said that you know she's very interested mm-hmm. in producing more movies, being a part of more movies or whatever that have more complex roles for women, mm-hmm. and that's why she was motivated to do a Gone Girl. Nice. And her motivation for all of that comes from. Tina Fey's book, Bossy Pants. Such a good book. Oh, my God. Everybody read it. Basically, though, I mean, part of the big reason why I loved this is that you don't really get the sense that it's a typical Fincher movie in the first half. But towards the end, there's a moment when it picks up and you hear the score done by Atticus Rotz. Excuse me. Atticus. uh, uh, Who are the composers? The composers are um, the same ones who did Social Network and Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. You've got um, the guy from Trent Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. Or is it Atticus, Atticus, what's his name? Atticus, Atticus Finch, I think is. Atticus, Atticus Finch, Finch is, is from, from To Kill a Mockingbird. <laughs> okay. Jinx. <laughs> let me, let me erase everything. Thank you, English majors in the room. <laughs> we're, we're, like, we're like, come on now. <laughs> so the composers are Atticus Ross and Trent Messner. <laughs> <laughs> Sean, please. <laughs> I just, I just, wait a minute. Yeah. Let's just get that. That was beautiful. That's got to stay in. I don't care how much I fucked up. You guys are wonderful. It was a nice stereo. <laughs> um, and basically, it was Fincher's chance to make a commentary on how beautifully and wonderfully the media bastardizes murder trials Mm. how it's always about the husband killing the wife and how the husband is the villain and how you have your nancy grace you know kind of (laughs) leading this charge to bastardize men and to say you know there's always it's 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 always you know cut and and dry and there's even a character in the film who's basically a caricature of nancy grace Mm. who's essentially the pundit Yes. Legal expert. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah, absolutely. And I thought it was really interesting how a lot of the actors who were cast in this film were not very likable actors. Uh, most notably, Tyler Perry. Mm-hmm. He's kind of got a mm-hmm. reputation for being, you know, Oprah's whipping boy, right? Like, <laughs> he, you know, makes Oprah movies. Um, and, uh, yeah, he's, he's a little bit of a controversial guy. Real quick, though, can I just say... I, I, is whipping, that a bad? No, I'm just saying the whipping boy turn. <laughs> is that? The, I had the same thought. I'm just like, <laughs> that's, that's absolutely a reference okay. to slavery. So, I'm just <laughs> like, so then, let me rewind. You take that out. Oprah's bitch. <laughs> <laughs> so he makes all these Oprah movies, so and you don't really, you don't. People don't really have much respect for Tyler Perry, but the character he played was a really dynamic attorney. Okay, and he basically defends Ben Affleck's character. Mm-hmm. And the way that the character develops, I thought it was just really brilliantly done. That you you learned to un, you 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 gained understanding as to why he was cast, and you just I don't know. I ended up liking Tyler Perry. I don't know why. I don't know. So anyway, I thought it was a really you know really good film, and uh, I think people should definitely check it out. They shouldn't come in expecting it to be you know at the same caliber as Girl with a Dragon Tattoo or Social Network. It's not. It's a much more subtle, quieter you know, small cast kind of film. But it's still one of Fincher's best. Cool. I can attest to that. Definitely one of Fincher's great. best. Great awesome. twist ending, great suspense, great writing, great acting. Rosamund Pike, if she does not get nominated, it's a travesty because she okay. deserves a ton of accolades for what great. she was able to accomplish. Yeah, that's in this I want to see the movie badly. And also, it's Me nice too. to see Ben Affleck do... Yeah. Apart again. It's the rise of Ben Affleck. He has been doing really yeah. well. I just saw him do a bit on uh, where he... I didn't watch the whole thing, but he basically just, he basically told Bill Maher to shut the fuck up. Nice. On, uh, oh, I time. saw that. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Was that a good thing or a bad thing? I it was know. kind of a good thing. Bill Maher was being an asshole. Oh, yeah. good. Good so, for you, Ben yeah. Affleck. You go, Ben. B- Bill Maher <laughs> is definitely, uh, he's at times a pariah, but I mean, he, yeah. he is very anti-religion of all kinds. Uh-huh. And so he made kind of an anti-Muslim comment. Really? Um, mm. Which we, which basically Ben Affleck Fleck did not take kindly to. And okay. he mm-hmm. showed the fact that, hey, you know, I did go to college. I do actually have an education. I can actually, you know, basically he, yeah. he showed his smart. And, Good. And, I mean, yeah. he is an Oscar yeah. winner. Yeah. And in that sense, I kind of want to end on the note of, well, my Kyle, my, my, my Kyle, my friend Kyle <laughs> summarized the film. Gone Girl taught me that white rich ladies are nuts, the media is the devil, and Ben Affleck can sometimes be a good actor. (laughs) Ben Affleck has made some bad choices, but I think it's going to be one of those things, like, over his breadth of work, Mm -hmm. 
it's going to be more in his favor than not. But Sarah, it's mm-hmm. like you said. You do the art picture, then you do the safe picture. There or you sometimes go. you do Rainer games. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And Jennifer Lopez. Oh. <laughs> or, yeah, Jersey Girl. Geely. Uh, yeah, Geely. Uh, that was a dark time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, forces of nature. Exactly. Yes, he had, he had a very dark early 2000s period. You know what else had a yeah. dark period? Harry Potter. Nice. He did. Oh, you are rocking it with the segue. <laughs> Way to go with the transition I, there, Roxy. Roxy. I'm so proud of Can you. Can we keep you? I'm such a proud mama right now. <laughs> I've learned from the best. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, that's why we're here today, right, guys? Yes, it is. It's so, indeed. welcome to Nerds on Film. I'm Sarah Ashley. I'm Brian Moriarty. I'm Roxy Noberry. And, and I'm Gina Giovanetti back again. Yay! Right on. Fourth I love episode you, in I love, the you, row. I love how you just jump okay. in there and intro yourself. It's she's awesome. like, it's mine now. Yeah. That's was I not supposed to? I apologize. No, you're fine. She's, <laughs> we, we've established she is our Potter Loader expert. <laughs> <laughs> Potter Loader. Potter also, Loader expert. Also, we've established. Name of my fan fiction. <laughs> the Potter Loader. <laughs> also, we've established you don't need to apologize so much. Yeah. <laughs> Damn, Gina. I did it less this time. You have done it less. You've only apologized like once or twice. You gotta get some <laughs> really that shit. Uh, well, yeah. All we... right. So where we left off last time, we talked a little bit about casting choices. Mm-hmm. Talked about how the movies be, uh, or how the movies came to be from the book and that kind of process where mm-hmm. J.K. Rowling was coming from. And a lot of nerdiness happened, yes. and it was really nice. But we've got more in store, mm-hmm. right? So oh, yeah. where do you guys want to kick it off? I think one of the things that we didn't mention last time was a lot of the effects that came out of the movies. Um, Some of these effects, you kind of see how they get better and better as the films go on, especially when it comes in with um, certain creatures. So when you see dragons or you see the hippogriff or several other creatures, it's this amazing technology that makes these creatures that are so fantastical look so real, specifically... Uh, I'm thinking of Buckbeak, the hippogriff from Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. It looks so fantastic. Buckbeak looks great. Oh, it looks so good. And uh, some of the the dragons as well. Um, But in addition to the computer effects, the makeup effects Mm -hmm. on a lot of... uh, Just making so many of these characters look so different, even with just little things that make them look so... uh, so unique um in uh harry potter and the chamber of secrets there is an actor who played the character of marcus flint who's the slytherin team captain and really all they gave him was were these fake teeth and you just got this very maniacal sort of creepy look from him sure. when he's commanding his team um makeup on a lot of Voldemort, the on y'all. Voldemort a lot of Voldemort Creepy. was mocap though so that that would like when you see the pictures of Ray Fiennes on set he's got all the mocap dots really? on his face okay. so a lot of that was mocap I'm talking a lot about the goblins in uh, Gringotts especially yeah, yeah. oh yeah. um, yes Warwick Davis played a yeah. number of parts with great yeah, makeup he was, Warwick he, Davis is so cool he's yes. awesome Willow yeah. <laughs> I gotta watch Willow again yeah <laughs> Um, because yeah, because he played Flitwick and he was one of the goblins. From yeah, um, he was. Oh, what's the goblin's name? Griphook. Yes, uh, that's right. The main that's one right. who takes them through. That's and right. They the go one who gets the... captured. No, in the, uh, uh, books. he plays. I think he plays Griphook later. So Griphook oh. is the one that actually takes them down. Um, who was actually. Um, What's his name? Vern Troyer from the Austin Powers. My movie. apologies, oh my God, Vern so Troyer. Funny. Thank he you. He was he was Grip Hook, but uh, War, uh, Warwick Davis is that first goblin that they encounter. That's you know the oh does Mister Harry Potter have his key? And they pull the tiny key out to right. the, wait, the vault. Wait a minute! Wait a minute! Wait a minute! Wait a minute! <laughs> Mini-Me is in Harry Potter? Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Are you fucking kidding me? No, I am not. Is I shit only, you not. Is he the only American then? I think there were there were like one or two American people that like slipped into the cast, Ooh. but uh, it was principally an all-British cast. This is this is ridiculous. You're blowing my mind here because the last I ever saw really <laughs> of Vern Troyer was on that celebrity house reality show <laughs> where he got completely life, hammered yeah. and fell off his little like his wheelie little thing scooter. no he was he was grip hook in uh in at least the first installment of harry potter i believe it was warwick davis or someone in the other ones but yeah. it was my in, in mind Sorcerer's stone is blown 
Like, yes. like what a fall from grace, I literally. Just... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry for Troy. Wow. Anyway, go on. It's yeah. Horrible. Um, but the the makeup effects on that are absolutely amazing. Um, Definitely. But we, I know we did talk a lot about makeup when we discussed Lord of the Rings the last couple weeks as well, um, and you know the all the differences in that. And I would say between the two, some of the effect, some of the makeup, especially in Lord of the Rings, is a little bit more impressive than what you see in Harry Potter because in Harry Potter there's very few creatures that are these kind of human hybrids that you mm-hmm. need that sort of practical makeup effects for whereas there are many more that are these you know sort of upright sort of characters in Lord of the Rings but what you do see in Harry Potter is fantastic yeah and it's interesting that they make those decisions too because I mean they chose to make all the goblins people with practical and yet all the elves are computer generated in right. that world. But is that the, is that the little guy? The house elves. Dobby, yeah. yeah. Well, he's not the only house elf. No, that's there in are the... many house elves. Yes, but he's the only one that made it into the film series. Uh, cre- technically, Creature did that's make true. it into Creature, the films, right. but briefly. Yeah. They never really touched on the importance of Creature. And that's actually something that J.K. Rowling, as a creative consultant on the films, um, made sure was still included because Creature, one of the scenes that was cut out is in Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, when they go to 12 Grimald Place, there's this whole chapter where they're cleaning things out and finding things in drawers. And the whole story with the the 12 Grimald Place home is that it used to be, it was Sirius Black's childhood home. It was the noble and most ancient house of Black. And so wow. Sirius Black doesn't necessarily like to be there because his family was very... Um, like pure blood mania. Um, they, they would have been fans of Voldemort. They would have exactly. They're yeah. they're somewhat they were they were a family almost akin to the Malfoys. Yeah, and and you find out that um, Bellatrix and the Malfoys and Sirius Black are all related because technically all the pure bloods are all related. Shocking. But- Exactly. Um, But one of the things about Creature is that he is this house elf that's been with the family for so long and has such a fanatical devotion to them. And there's a picture of Sirius's mother who then this picture is always covered by curtains. And if you uh, if you, you know, blow the curtains open, she starts screaming at you and, you know, telling you like, oh, there's blood traitors in my house. Like she hates that there are people that are not these pure blood wizards in her house. But Creature is so devoted to this family he's almost hoarding old relics of the family and the locket that you that later turns out to be one of the horcruxes salazar yeah with salazar slytherin's locket um that's actually something that is briefly mentioned in this house cleanout chapter of right. Order of the Phoenix. And, you know, you find out later that it's something that maybe Creature had or it was in that house that was later yeah. taken out by someone. A character also, um, Mundungus Fletcher, who is someone who would kind of steal things from that house and then sell it on, like secondhand on the market or whatever. He was a character that was cut out as right. well. And Creature's a big deal, too, um, especially because he has his own little arc in the seventh book he does yeah but there's a great line that Dumbledore has in the book that never made into the film which was that when he reveals that Creature was behind Sirius Black's basically behind what led to Sirius Black's death Mm -hmm. you're like well how could he have done that he was Sirius's uh, Sirius was his master and he says Creature says Creature has had a second master for some some time now Mm -hmm. and you basically find out that really it wasn't Sirius it was more or less Sirius's mother yeah who he was being loyal to, uh, and because Sirius was the only living black left, he felt like this obligation right. to serve, but yet he wasn't, he was more true to, again, to the yeah. black family. He and was he was more true to, like, the mother, and then specifically Sirius's brother Regulus. Regulus, who yes. Who, who had the note left in the locket at the end, in the dummy locket. He's that, you know, R-A-B in that Regulus Archeris Black. Right. Interesting. Interesting. Right. Hmm. But yeah, he's he's one of he is one that just barely made it in and J.K. Rowling said, you know, you might want to make sure that creature is at least shown and mentioned because of this side plot with where the locket is as well. Yeah, it's and he's on the he's really in the film for I mean, they kinda tweaked it in the seventh movie because Dobby, I guess, kinda gets creature to turn around in the seventh moment. Where in the book it's Harry showing kindness to, to creature, creature that gets him to turn around. And then all of a sudden he becomes the most loyal pro, right. uh, you know, 
Mudblood or which I you know pro Muggleborn or pro poor half blood. Mudblood is a slur, Brian. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we are an explicit (laughs) podcast. (laughs) Even when it comes to like nerd language, I did not hear anyone declare Akbar. um, And it it was contextual. So anyway, (laughs) anyway, um, (laughs) it's a racial slur. It is well. I mean, wow, hey. we are just two you for just, two tonight. Aren't we? we just call it the mud word, okay? It's yeah, the, mud the, word. M word. the M word. The M word. You can't say the, the M word because then that can mean muggle. Well, sir, part of something interesting: the fact that we're even talking about like people like Voldemort. Like, are we gonna get cursed for me bringing up his name at all? <laughs> no, it's not. It's not. It's not a Beetlejuice kind of thing. You don't say Voldemort, and he just shows up. The only time that <laughs> God, happened was. Not. Most people, the whole idea of people calling him, you know, you know who or he who must not be named is they it's it kept that fear alive in Mm. them almost. Whereas Harry, by saying the name Voldemort, confronted that fear. But the Death Eaters found out that not many people were actually saying the name Voldemort because they were still living in fear. So in the final film... Um, that this is a plot line that was cut. The, they just get found by the Death Eaters in the woods. But what they do is they put a tracer on the name Voldemort. And so it's the spell that can kind of sense whenever the name Voldemort is spoken, they will then have like almost like a like a sensor that will almost like a GPS honing system that will be like, oh, it was said over here. Someone over here is, you know, part of the resistance. Right. Uh, so it was only members of the resistance that were actually using Voldemort's so name. So like the yeah. ring wraiths who know when. Exactly. Basically, the yeah. Well, I mean, it's really more detective work because they figure we'll Potter, we already know, is not afraid to use the name. So if we're going right. to find Potter, we'll have to put a trace on it in there. Exactly. But I think they they kind of implied that maybe that's what it was like pre, pre you know, the opening scene of Sorcerer's Stone, that maybe he had, Voldemort had put a trace on the word no matter what, for anybody who said it. And it was, it, that was, ju- it was just more of a fear hysteria thing. Um, it's th- like saying Macbeth in a theater. Yeah. Yeah. And then it was one of the other plot lines that was cut out was this whole like radio code system in the seventh book as well, where members of the this resistance would be able to tune into a certain radio station. And right. it was Fred and George and Lee Jordan and a couple others that were um, like transmitting these kind of messages of hope over the radio to those who who knew what this signal right. was. And the thing I got like when they when they translated this to the movies is that when essentially when Voldemort's back and I can't remember his name but he's the the puppet minister of magic essentially um not, not fudge no uh, fudge fudge was sacked and yeah they, it and was they it killed, was fudge they killed shacklebolt uh, um, no they didn't kill shacklebolt they killed um no right shacklebolt was shacklebolt like, becomes yeah, no, magic right the they end. they killed um they killed bill scrimger, Nye. Scrimger. scrimger yeah yeah they killed bill nye yeah <laughs> they killed bill yeah, Rufus. They skill Rufus Scrimger, and right. then uh, they installed one of the other right. Uh, oh, ministers. I'm forgetting what his name is, and it's bothering me. Yeah, I'll figure. Well, it out anyway, there. we'll we'll figure mm-hmm. it out. But what they essentially do is they you have this sense that it's almost like Nazi Germany. Yeah, and that yeah, that's that's what that's what kind of was established as the the pre like when when Dumbledore defeated Grindelwald. That was the kind of idea like oh like if you look at the timeline of that it sort of lined up with world war ii 1945 yeah yeah, and so so grindelwald was almost like the the wizarding version of um Hitler? Hitler. Of Hitler. And so Voldemort is almost like a neo-Nazi kind of trying to bring those ideas back. Even with the bald back. head. Go exactly. <laughs> trying to bring those ideas back. So disturbing. Oh, I love yeah. it. But it. But it was cool that they were able to establish that sense of fear because you got that in the seventh movie for sure. Like you got the sense right. of if they that get running. caught, they are going to die. Yeah. Right. Like they were. They are going to get killed. They're going to be put in like a back alley and they're going to yeah. have, you My know, God. Avada Kedavra. Yeah. Bam. And you're mm-hmm. done. So what would you guys say is kind of like, I don't know, there's like a lot of charms, spells, devices, things <laughs> like that going on in this movie. What what are like some of your favorites that come up? Um, the one that is only kind of muttered is like, I love Protego. Protego is just the, the shield the, charm. The shield protection. Oh. That, that Ginny just kind of mutters in the fifth book, but ends up being like this massive, like, shockwave that she knocks down a bunch of death eaters yeah there's that one and then there was also um reducto which is where it like it blows it blew a bunch of stuff up as well i thought i think so Uh, accio is always great where you you call it 
What's the one where Hermione fixes Ron's glass? Oh no, Harry's, Harry's glasses. Oculus, Oculus Reparo. Reparo. Aww, yes. That's cute. That's There's cute. also wait, 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 wait. What's the scene where I think it's in Azkaban? She gets the necklace, and it's a really disturbing moment when the student, like, she gets the necklace, and they're outside in the snow. Oh, that's in that's in up. six. Is it the that's six in though? six because oh, okay. that starts to establish like the dark magic. It's basically the, the necklace is cursed, and mm-hmm. it was meant to be delivered to I don't know if it was delivered to McGonagall or, or to Dumbledore. I think it was meant to go to Dumbledore, but it okay. was intercepted by Katie Bell. Thank I believe. you. Right. That's, yeah, yeah. And she put it on, and she, she put it on. It's the, it's the the moment you see her face. Right? Also, that's. Mouth, that's one of those cool things that is a callback to Chamber of Secrets when Harry first ends up in Borgen and Burks, the in in Nocturne Alley. He looks at several different things, one of which is the vanishing cabinets. There's the Hand of Glory, which mm-hmm. Malfoy does end up using later when the Death Eaters have their assault on the castle. And then one of them is this beautiful necklace of opals that says, like, you know, don't touch has claimed the lives of over six muggles or something. What does it do? It's I think it's imbued with like a very with a very mild form of the Cruciatus curse which mm-hmm. there's three there's like the three unforgivable curses there's avada kedavra um the cruciatus curse and the imperious curse so imperio is the one where you can control people it's basically possession is what it yeah, is yeah it's okay. basically possession the cruciatus curse is the torture curse where hence like it sounds like crucifixion crucify it's a very like pain-ridden thing and that's used for like interrogation you'll continually right. crucio someone in order to get them to talk and then avada kedavra is the immediate killing the, the curse. There's curse, no coming yeah. back from Chapin that. Um, there um, is... I think it's actually the Imperious Curse that is being used on the Minister of Magic that is the puppet Minister of Magic. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah, they basically, they know that... And they basically, they tortured him and they broke him to where they... Because you can resist the Imperious Curse. That's the one thing that you learn in the yeah, fourth book. You can, yeah, you can. Because that's with uh, with Moody, the, you know, constant vigilance. It's, you know, the right. what he does with Harry is he has... He has he, he tests the Imperious Curse on Harry and tries to get him to, like, jump into the desk and hurt himself. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's the fact that Harry delays jumping that Moody's able to say, well, look at him. He fought back. And if he tried even harder, he would have been able to resist it entirely. Interesting. Yeah. And then, of course, there's the Polyjuice Potion. Polyjuice Potion is cool. Yes. And what then, does that do? Polyjuice a... Potion is what? Sorry, go ahead. I'm. Yeah. You guys are going to have to explain <laughs> everything yeah. to okay, me, so, by the so way. So the Polyjuice Potion, <laughs> it takes a long time to make, and it's this disgusting, days. thick... Bubbly. It looks like milk that you've let boil over and then just thicken. Or like, or like when you're when you're boiling, when you're like melting down sugar okay. and it blackens and you've uh, like burned it and yeah. it looks nasty. It kind of looks it like that. It, it's a more. It basically, it's a shape shifting potion. Yeah. You put a, a piece of somebody you're trying to turn into. It only works on people. You're not supposed to use it for animals. No. <laughs> yes. Uh, that's the animagus thing. That's a whole other thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, you drink it. And it essentially, for a short period of time, converts you into that person. They used it a couple times. Once as for Crab and Goyle in the second mm-hmm. book. But more importantly, in the seventh book, where they... become it, She becomes Bellatrix. And he becomes uh, Lucius, is it? Or no, it's not Lucius. No, he becomes... Um, what's his name? Uh, there are these two uh, He becomes another Death Eater. Yeah. I forget what his Well, basically, is. wasn't there a whole opening scene in one of the later films where they go and infiltrate the Ministry of Magic right. as, like, three characters who, like, work, mm-hmm. and one of them is being interrogated, and it was Hermione who's uh, playing a, a, one of the employees, basically. Right. Yeah. right. Or no, no, there's a scene where she's being interrogated as Bellatrix. Well, they're, when they're talking to, to her and it's just like, she wants to get into her vault. And yeah. It's the, yeah. You know, I don't like to be kept waiting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But then there's the one where they, they go in as just like the three regular employees. Yeah, and Weasley's playing one of like the minister employees. I think his wife is being questioned for yeah. something. The wife is yeah. being yeah. questioned. Yeah, and Bellatrix yeah. like gets the wife freed basically. And that's that's when all the shit hits the fan. So. Yeah, <clears throat> of course, Patronus. Expecto Patronum, indeed, the Patronus mm-hmm. charm. So, yeah. what would you say is your Patronus? Oh, I'm just gonna one one of the most heartbreaking <laughs> yeah. things though is J.K. Rowling has said that after the events of the seventh book, George Weasley was never ever able again to uh, able to conjure Patronus again oh. because life is no longer happy without his twin brother, and that just shattered my heart because those are also my favorite characters, Fred and George Weasley, and yeah. like when I was reading that scene, I made this kind of like ah sound in my throat yeah. and my mom was like wait what happened and I'm just like no just leave me alone for a minute just gonna like, walk it that, off that, that scene was somewhat glazed over in the movies which in you you also missed out on Percy's redemption arc as well because the whole thing is when that scene happens in the book 
Percy has become kind of a ministry crony. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he, he comes back right at that moment and he's starting to fight off Death Eaters and he's pulling jokes with his brothers again. And then a wall collapses and Fred Weasley dies. Why? Yeah. <laughs> because life is cruel. Thank yeah, you. exactly. So explain the Patronus thing to me. Yeah. Okay, so the Patronus... Isn't it like your spirit animal? Pretty much. Basically. Essentially, mm-hmm. so what it is, is it's a it's considered advanced magic. Usually mm-hmm. Aurors learn it um, when you work for the... Aurors are essentially the watchmen of mm-hmm. uh, the... They're like wizard minister cops. Of Mag- yeah, the wizard, wizard police, cops. exactly. They're wizard they cops. Let's be wizard so cops. Harry actually wants to become an Auror. That's, yeah. that's his thing. Right. So, um, what Do Aurors you- have jobs after the events of the seventh book? That's all I'm wondering. There's, there will always <laughs> be another dark wizard, Apparently right? Apparently they do, but yeah. it's like really... Uh, yeah, exactly. Any, anyway, um, so... What, if they can keep making lethal weapon movies. The, the, <laughs> the Patronus charm um, was taught to Harry in the third book by... Remus uh, Lupin. Remus Lupin, thank you. Who was the only ever good Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher that there's ever been. Moody wasn't a bad uh, DADA teacher. It just turned out it wasn't actually Moody. Moody, exactly. It was Barty Crouch. Um, Barty so, Crouch Jr.? Barty Crouch Jr. I know. Be specific, Brian. Yeah, stay focused. Explain fucking Patronus. Sorry. Sorry. To me. Sarah's impatient. Sorry. And Lupin does it because the Dementors, these basically these creatures that are used to guard Azkaban prison, are being used to protect Harry uh, at Azkaban because they believe Sirius Black is out and loose, and he's going to. So the thing is that Dementors are literally soul suckers. Like if you get a Dementors kiss, they literally suck your soul out of your body, and you're left as just a husk of a human being who's still alive biologically, but not but dead spiritually. So uh, as a means of warding off the Dementors, Lupin, um, because Harry is kind of weak to Dementors, Lupin teaches him the de- the the Patronus charm, and it's you have to think of a happy moment, and you have to use that happy thought to summon your your Patronus. When Harry conjures his, he gets it's usually for most people it comes a just a, wisp, a silvery wisp of magic. The, no, everyone everyone who's able to conjure one, like the wisp is very weak and it's not going to work. You actually have to have like it will become some form of animal once you get once up to you that get level. developed exactly, and nice. and he doesn't fully learn the full Patronus charm until uh, till the basically the, the climax of the third book. And you, it's funny because everyone's Patronus has said something about who they are. So Harry's is... Uh, stag. Is a stag. And the stag is prongs. Prongs. It was his father's animagus. The exactly. thing with The thing with Patronus is... Animagi are characters in the wizarding world uh, who have the ability to change into another animal. So in the third book, let me just okay. clarify this. Yeah, yeah. I was just kind of thinking like a stag, is he like really into okay. bachelor parties? So, <laughs> so going back to it, so Remus Lupin, Peter Pettigrew, James Potter, and Sirius Black. Right. All close friends yes. in through when they were all going to Hogwarts. This I actually know. Mm-hmm. Yes. This is Remus Harry Lupin the original is not an animagus. No, Remus Lupin is a werewolf. But because he would have to go and become a werewolf for four days of the of the month. They had to hide it because if anyone found out he was a werewolf, he would have been kicked out of Hogwarts. That's was why, this the that's guy? That's why the Whomping Willow was, was in, planted there. Was this the guy who was in Dragonheart? Yeah, yes, yeah. David Thewlis. Yeah, yeah. okay. yes. One of one of the things I'm going to say real quick is I really did not like his character design in Prisoner of Azkaban. The man looked like a damn pedophile, and so when he's like, "Oh, Harry, come into my office," I'm just like, "No, don't go in there. What are you doing?" <laughs> we're, going, we're getting up, we're getting up tracking. We're getting up tracking. It's okay. So. To keep him company, because he basically would have to go into the shack and become a werewolf, um, they decided they were going to experiment and they were going to turn themselves into animagi, which is uh, an elaborate and dangerous form of magic. Because usually you're born an animagi, an animagus. You don't, you can't become, become one. one. So they, they end up all learning that capability. So uh, when they do that, James becomes the ability, gains the ability to turn into a stag. Uh, Wormtail slash Peter Pettigrew becomes a rat. Hence the name Wormtail, and Sirius Black gains the ability to turn into a dog. Okay. So Prongs, Padfoot, Wormtail, and uh, Mooney were all the names of the Marauders for the Marauders map. It's because you basically find out that they were also they are the ones who invented it. Okay. So and they were all the code names. I didn't think you had to. I didn't think you had to be born an Animagus. You had to be born a Metamorphagus, which is what Tonks is. But I thought if you were just very, very advanced magically, you could become an Animagus, and that's the whole thing. Like you had to register as an Animagus right. as well. Right. And though those ones were non-registered as an Animagus. In addition, um, Rita Skeeter, Rita is, Skeeter also. is also an unregistered Animagus Rita Skeeter. because she. Oh, you find out in the fourth. 
book, she can transform into a beetle. And that's how she would kind of fly around and get all of these very secret Juicy conversations gossip, yeah. that she would then yeah. perform, so uh, you know, report on. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, yeah. Um, but like, example, McGonagall is an anime. I guess she can transform into, into a cat. cat. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yes. But she was so, born in Animagus. So you she was? Yeah, she was, yeah. Okay, that yeah. I don't remember. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So then what's your what do you what are your respective trope? Yeah, what, what would you be so here? I'm trying to fi- I'm trying to figure out what because I'm I know that the Harry's it, the thing is Patronuses can also change form depending mm. on your emotions and what you are because I don't know what Snape's was originally but currently Snape's Patro- Patronus is the doe which is um, after Lily which Lily's. is because he was so in love with Lily Evans who then married James Potter and right, became right. Lily Potter like that is because of his love for her like his became the doe um Hermione's is an otter and Ron's is some sort of small dog. <laughs> I don't remember I uh, I think I think it's Cho's is a swan. Gina, Gina. I don't remember what. But what do you want yours? I don't know what, what mine would, would be. be yours? Come on, pick one. I think I, a friend told me mine would be like some form of cat, but it's <laughs> that's kind of generic. Mine okay, would so. be mine would be Tina Belcher. Can I? Can Tina Belcher. That's no. Because she's a beast. You can actually do that. Can she's I, a beast. Well, I have a question. Can Can Batman be my Patronus? Yes, <laughs> because that's who I would want. Technically, yes. <laughs> because I want like to go expecto patron, and all of a sudden this Batman comes out. And says, where is she? <laughs> Where is the trigger man? Where is he? Very nice. Uh, <laughs> um, actually, probably mine would be a bear. A bear. A bear. <laughs> a bear yeah, yeah. I would. dope. Yeah. yeah. I would. I want to say like a wolf, maybe. Cool. I like wolves. I'd be a moose. <laughs> a, a moose. <laughs> just because she's Canadian. Just Roxy, Canadian. Roxy's blast out of the water and it's just like. Well, I did. I did see. I did see a post that someone had made that was like, well. Everyone has these small animals. I want to see someone's Patronus be like a blue whale that just rolls <laughs> over. <laughs> and just like and just smashes it. Exactly. <laughs> that would be great. I would also like to see someone's like be, like it would be kind of cool if you find out, you know, the um, the evil Patronus is like, there's one that's like a scorpion or something mm, that like that. That would be dope. Yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, or a dragon. A dragon's Patronus would be fucking amazing. <sighs> Sweet. Yeah. Just be moosing along. <laughs> moosing along. Moosing along. Yeah, don't you know. <laughs> I wonder if that's going to be the Moose Jaws theme. Yes. Do-dum. <laughs> Do-dum. Don't you know. Don't you know. Don't, I'm going to kill you, don't you know. <laughs> oh. So he's a talking moose, apparently. Stereotypes. Wow. I love them. <laughs> nice. So, um... So that's pro- yeah probably my that's what we would go for that's for, for Patroni. <laughs> okay, uh, listeners, what's mine? <laughs> what's Sarah's? Yeah. What's Sarah's Patronus? Let um, me know. Uh, I would say though, <laughs> gosh, like, I have, I have, I have like no fucking clue. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not exactly sure what they do still because we never got to that okay, point. So, okay, so <laughs> spirit animals. They, you know? they repel. They repel dementors. Uh, they kind of. They're a happy thought that kind of has this protective shield around you and mm. will take badness away basically okay. and so they're they're made to repel yeah. these dementors that are these soul-sucking happiness wasting thing okay. that basically were, were route that have been wrangled by the ministry didn't, of magic mm-hmm. didn't harry save um what what was his name? brother Sirius black no no no, no his is his uh his, dudley. his brother his cousin dudley. he saved yeah. dudley from a dementor he yes. did yeah because you find uh, out dementor, that uh Death yeah. Eater. Yeah. When no, no, it was, it was a dementor. Was a dementor? Yeah. Oh, okay. yeah. Death eaters are Voldemort's followers. Dementors are the the hooded soul suckers. Yeah. So he, he saved so, him from a little yeah. That one yeah. Out. And the dementor, um, you basically find out in the end of the fifth book when it's confirmed undeniably that Voldemort is back, um, that you find that the dementors are no longer following uh, the orders of the Ministry of Magic. They're following Voldemort. Voldemort. Oh, wow. So now everyone's on their guard, and the the Pachigo. The shield charm will not work on them. And essentially, it's there to protect you from more advanced forms of dark magic. Yeah. Which I think is the reason the I bring that up is because that was really a kind of a turning point for their relationship. Because the Dudley, yeah, like, that's uh, Dudley, what's the family name again? Dursley. The Dursleys, thank you. That's something that was definitely also unfortunately cut from the yeah. film was Dudley and Harry's relationship towards the end. Because Dudley's a real shitbag to Harry, <laughs> like, the whole, yeah. at least one through five. But then once Harry saves him, there's this very kind of like okay I respect and appreciate you a little bit more and there's this great line when Harry is leaving the house for the last time time, 
And Dudley has this one line where he he says, like, you're not a waste of, I don't think you're a waste of space or something. You saved my life, yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's like, I don't, and the line is specifically, I I don't think you're a waste of space. And it's, it's just so, it's this one line that just, it's, it doesn't necessarily forgive everything, but it's kind of like slapping a band-aid on it a little bit. The Dursleys play such a huge part in the whole, you know, narrative of Ron or Harry's life. So, Definitely. There yeah. needs to be closure in that regard, and I don't really yeah. feel like they gave too much they, closure. They to didn't the put a. They unfortunately also cut a scene where it's Petunia talking about Lily and how it. She's kind of telling Harry, you know, you weren't the only one who lost someone that night. You lost your parents, but I lost my sister. And yeah. there's a lot of this backstory about Lily and Petunia and uh, little Snape as mm-hmm. well, mm-hmm. because they were all childhood friends. Right. And then Snape knew he was from a magical family, but Lily was this, you know, muggle-born that got this letter, and Petunia felt so left out because she didn't get one. Mm-hmm. And so this sort of animosity that she has towards her sister is this jealousy that her sister was, you know, quote unquote special and she wasn't. And there was then this divide that came between them. I mean, right. Lily and Petunia, like mm-hmm. uh, yeah. the characterizations of the two of them, of exactly. course, is going yeah. to be, they're going to be the adversary to each other. Yeah. There's also a great scene in the sixth book that they never put in. And it's essentially basically in the beginning where Dumbledore comes and collects Harry uh, directly mm-hmm. because again we've established that Voldemort is now back so for his mm-hmm. protection Dumbledore gathers him and brings him to Hogwarts directly mm-hmm. uh, and he basically sets the ground rules and says look next year Harry's going to turn the age of 17 that means that he's no longer going to be under your protection um, but we need but he has to return for one last summer because his birthday mm-hmm. falls in August essentially mm-hmm. and um you know, they're they're giving him, and, and they're basically, they don't like Dumbledore, of course, the Dursleys, and Uncle Vernon's giving him crap. And finally, Voldemort just finally very calmly... Or Dumbledore. Just, I'm sorry, thank you. <laughs> Dumbledore just finally just basically calmly rebukes them. Mm-hmm. Said, look, said, look, all we've asked you to do this entire time was watch over Harry mm-hmm. and treat him and give him some love and give him, make him feel like he was loved. And you haven't done that. Mm-hmm. You've treated him. They, I'm paraphrasing, of course. There's like basically said you've treated him like he was unwelcome. Mm-hmm. And they basically, he basically just does that gives Harry the defending that he never got as a kid. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's a moment where like Vernon and Petunia look kind of remorseful at realizing that they've they've they fucked up. Like yeah. they. they Oh, yeah. good. And, I'm and, glad that happened. And again, all because of Petunia's jealousy about her sister. Right. Right. I'm not going to lie, guys. I stopped reading the series after the fifth book because I... Harry I was just, kind of a little pissant in it. I, I got a little overwhelmed by it all. I mean, I, when I started reading the books as a kid, I wouldn't be able to read them at night because I would get nightmares. <laughs> I mean, there was that's just okay. so, such rich language and such rich imagery that, let's be honest, Harry Potter touches on some really dark, dark mm-hmm. themes. Yeah, And it the does. whole thing of a Death Theater? Are you fucking kidding me? That's just mm-hmm. terrifying. But at, at the same time, I think that's a good thing because a lot of children's literature now has been written in a way where we're we're hiding kids away from the problems that life in the world has. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things, even like the Catholic Church came out and said that this is a good thing because it's teaching kids about morals. It's teaching kids about that sometimes the right thing to do has consequences that mm-hmm. affect you negatively. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There are sacrifices that have to be made. And it prepares you to understand, look, the world's a shitty place. And there are people who will sometimes abuse their position to make other people, you know, lesser human beings exactly mm-hmm. and you have to be that altruistic person and fight against that even if it becomes widespread mm-hmm. yeah. and like that's the message of the harry potter books is that you can rise above yourself and become something more powerful than you ever thought was po- was you were capable that's also yeah. the message of batman i can see why you really <laughs> <laughs> yeah. or even lord of the rings i mean all of these epic or superman well, any heroes yeah. Well, yeah. i would say yeah. any hero's journey yeah. yeah yeah no absolutely oh, Campbell's hero's Frodo is about I mean, rising above your position i mean harry yeah. quite yeah. literally the gets the message from the messenger <laughs> of the call to action with that goddamn letter like Seriously, yeah very, it's quite literal hero yes. Hero's journey. Yes. oh hero's journey is so good i saw this nice little fan art where it kind of summarized each character's sort of journey where you say, you know, we found courage with Neville, we learned to be unique with Luna, we fought our demons with Ginny, we made all the wrong choices with Draco, we learned new things with Hermione, we gained confidence with Ron, and we stuck with Harry until the very end. That We stuck with Harry until the very end 
that comes from J.K. Rowling's dedication mm. in the seventh book. It's a it's a lightning bolt shaped dedication, and there's seven different things that she dedicates the the book to. Nice. And the final one says, you know, and to you, the readers who have stuck with Harry until the very end. Oh, I love it. And the thing I love about that too is when Harry is using the resurrection stone, oh, and he sees his. Fa- I know I'm getting a little tricked too. Oh, when he sake. sees his family. <laughs> I know. He's like <laughs> stuffing all over again. Um, when, when he My sees, heart. when he sees, I mean, he sees his parents again finally, mm-hmm. and he sees Sirius again, and he sees a lot of people. I mean, it's, he's it's his Cedric it's his, Diggory. He yeah, sees. it's it's his parents. Oh, it's Cedric. Cedric. It's Sirius. I believe it's also Bertha Jorkins as right. well. Oh, and there's they, ghosts of all of these people that Voldemort has killed, oh, or wow. you know, have been killed in Voldemort's name as he's been trying to get to Harry. And basically when Harry mm. realizes that he has to die in order for Voldemort to to lose because basically he finds out through the through a bunch of wand lore that that because Voldemort has the elder wand there's no way mm. that Harry can defeat him. There's also the the horcrux that's inside of him. Exactly. So because his scar is the horcrux, he thought that basically well the only way to destroy Dumbledore, Voldemort is to destroy the last horcrux which is me. Uh-huh. And that's why he's also a parcel mouth why he can speak to a uh, snake. Uh-huh. And uh he when he chooses to die he's utterly terrified. It's almost Christ-like in the, the Garden of Gethsemane. Mm-hmm. And he asks his parents I'm really happy who just made that comparison. <laughs> Here we go. And I'm getting choked up. He, he asks his parents, will you stay with me? Oh. And they say, to the very end. <laughs> okay. So we've so. been wax poetic on Harry yeah. Potter for years. Uh, yeah. But you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change gonna quiz the pace. Me? Yes. Yeah, okay. let's get yeah. to the Potter quiz. I want to stop Before sitting, I turn into a five-year-old I want to stop child. sitting here here's crying. A, here's a BuzzFeed quiz. I know okay. BuzzFeed is all sorts of fun, but oh, no. here's, a, here's a quiz called okay. 15 parts of the Harry Potter series that were never in the movies. So how is this going to go? Are you going to like I'm ask me? I'm just going to ask you. Because I know you know the answer, babe. Are you going to try to get me to explain it? Like, okay. Explain lightly. Okay, explain for context because Sarah won't right. know what you're talking about. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, right. question number one: Whatever happened to Neville's parents? Uh, Neville's parents were tortured by Voldemort, or and no, they were tortured by Bellatrix Lestrange, mm-hmm. and that's why Neville has this sort of vendetta towards her. They were tortured severely with the Cruciatus Curse because because of this prophecy, the child that you know was foretold to be able to defeat Voldemort could have been either Harry or Neville. Interesting. And so his parents were heavily heavily tortured and they currently they're still alive but they've basically gone mad and they're in st mungo's yes they are they are in st mungo's for uh magical maladies and injuries oh my god you got the name correct and everything yeah god you're great yes okay number two i think they're cellmates with gilderoy lockhart uh they weren't they weren't roommates but they they saw neville there visiting his parents when they were making rounds and then they saw lockhart there question number two yes what about voldemort's family uh, Voldemort's family. So Voldemort was conceived by a uh, love potion. His mother, Merope Gaunt, fell in love with Tom Riddle Sr. And, you know, she put him under this love spell. And then eventually she wanted to see if his love was true. And she released him from the spell and he ran off and she was completely um, just upset and so she took him to the orphanage and he was in the orphanage for a while and one of the things about Voldemort is he's so evil because he there's there in essence he cannot necessarily feel love or understand love Mm -hmm. because what he was conceived in was artificial so technically he's a sociopath essentially they're they're kind of I I want to say he's a rape baby the thing is basically yeah it really Yeah. yeah, it's a yeah. little bit like it's Tom upsetting. Senior kind of was taken advantage of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But so and is Merope. Merope yeah. is the child of a of, of an incestuous yeah. relationship. They're saying that yeah, that he is a direct descendant of of uh, Slytherin. Yes, and too direct. Like the from the family tree never forked. Like the Gaunts <laughs> yeah. were basically the hillbillies of the of the. Oh Wizarding God, world. yeah. Oh, God. Like like oh, they, like God. they were they were the they were the intermarrying. They were bad. They, that's how much they wanted to keep the, the blood the pure. The hillbillies mm. or the royal family. Ooh. Uh, <laughs> no, <laughs> they were more like hillbillies. Okay. Seriously, because they were not they were not well respected in okay. the Wizarding well, world. Well, when you look at the teeth of both, they're kind <laughs> of one and the same. Uh-uh. <laughs> anyway, go on. Anyway, can you guess who helped rid the castle of Dolores Umbridge? Uh. A lot of people kind of factored into that, but I'm going to go... Was it Peeves? Yes, Peeves, Peeves the Poltergeist. 
cool. Mm-hmm. He was the yeah. We 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 talked about him already. Yeah. You so never you could find him in the books, but you never knew he existed mm-hmm. in the movies. Yes. Okay, what the heck is a spew badge? So. <laughs> So spew, 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 spew into this. this. <laughs> yes. Uh, Finally, uh, it's like yes. Yeah. Like, oh. So, um, so spew is uh, S P E W stands for the Society for the Promotion of Elvish Welfare. This was an organization that Hermione began in year. Five. Four or four, 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 four. Yeah. Uh, in year four, she in Goblet of Fire, she saw all of these house elves that were kind of employed, that were basically free labor that uh, so many people were utilizing, but especially the castle. And so she was trying; she was basically fighting for the rights of house elves. And wow. you you see that elaborated in with Dobby later. He gets like a galleon a week or something, and then he can take weekends off. And it's a deal he worked out with Voldemort, not Voldemort with Dumbledore um, and uh, he a lot of the other house elves kind of frown upon him for doing that because house elves are supposed to unconditionally serve mm. yeah. let me just but, remind but our Dobby listeners was free, right? yes he was, he was yeah. and that's it nice. they're, they're supposed to un- but a lot of these house elves they will not necessarily take clothing because they're they're just very they're very a lot of them are very happy serving because like Hermione tries to kind of sneakily free them she would like knit hats and socks and things and just leave them around the castle for the house elves to find but they were like no I'm not taking that I'm happy in my position like we're not getting paid or anything but we get treated well and she's kind of like no you deserve more yeah nice who the heck is Ludo Bagman Ludo Bagman you were played for a Quidditch team called the Wimborne Wasps. He was a beater. He and his nose is large because it's been broken multiple times by bludgers. Ludo Bagman was a character in Goblet of Fire. He hung out with the family at the Quidditch World Cup, nice. and the twins made a bet with him. Yep. and he never paid up on it. Mm-hmm. He Damn, got off the Gina. bet. Yeah. <laughs> Damn. Now Let you me, get it, right? Yeah. yeah. See, this is what I'm saying, listeners. Gina is doing this off of the top of her beautiful head. <laughs> she totally is it's unbelievable no she's quite literally looking up like as if she has the answer (laughs) like like your brain is like the library in beauty and the beast and like your your bell just picking books yeah you know okay continue please please, please, um did you know that there is a house elf named winky yes winky belonged to the crouch family so Mm. barty crouch who you did see in book not in book and movie four he was kind of played him yes uh no uh he played barty crouch jr barty crouch senior was who uh, well, the the elf was so Winky the elf was there for the Crouch family, and this was after Dobby's freedom. And Winky is how you we get that segue into the Spew storyline. Winky works at Hogwarts, um, or she began to work for Hogwarts after the Crouches released her because she she was framed at the World Cup for conjuring a spell. She was caught with Crouch's wand or she was caught with a wand that she was then accused of stealing and conjuring the dark mark with um and she she was then released and she went to the castle to work and she's basically like a little elf drunkard because she can't she can't stand being away from the family that she is so that she's served so well and then actually when Barty Crouch Jr is masquerading as Moody in the castle she's kind of helping him out because she still has that devotion to nice. that family okay very good answer that's beautiful. Last try. question. Okay. What effect should the wizarding world have on the muggle world? So there's currently like a statute of secrecy between the wizarding world and the muggle world. And part of that is to protect the muggle world from any sort of conflict that goes on in the wizarding world. So this whole idea of like this blood purity that Voldemort is stressing, that applies to muggles as well. So he doesn't like anyone without a magical ability. So they basically keep this separation to as almost a protection kind of thing because they don't want people to get hurt. No, and then the whole prime minister gets visited by the actual like minister of magic. He's yeah, the only muggle who really knows what's going That's on. That's badass. Yeah, yeah. Could you imagine, yeah. like, fucking, I don't know, like, uh, who is the... Tony female? Blair. Yeah, like, Tony Blair just getting in on, like, no one. Yeah, or and David Cameron, Thatcher. who's the current. Margaret Thatcher being a Well, it's so funny, too, because, like, there's the opening scene of the f- fifth book. I thought it was... I think it's six. Six book, six book, Half Prince, yes. Um, where 
it's this prime minister is waiting and he's waiting for a phone call from a president of a faraway country. Oh my yeah. god. <laughs> and and they're 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 implying it's America basically and how much he hates the this president. Nice. Um and then all of a sudden this painting starts talking and said, The Minister of Magic will be here in five minutes. <laughs> and it was just like oh. That's amazing. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. Because yeah. he, he the only thing he hates more than talking to the President of the United States is the Minister of Magic. Because he, he just feels like the, yeah. the wizards just interfere. <laughs> yes. They don't they don't do anything. Those yeah. meddling right. wizards. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, Gina, you were all for all. You're fucking Thank brilliant. you yes. for sharing your well. Damn, with Gina. <laughs> yeah. Here, I'm I'm actually gonna I'm gonna go ahead and declare this uh publicly. But Gina has actually made me more inclined, more inclined, <gasps> more inclined to read the books. Here's the extent of my Harry Potter experience. Mm-hmm. I watched the first one more times than I can count because some kid I babysat one summer That'll like sour you towards anything. made me watch it over and over and over again. That oh. the first Shrek and how the Grinch stole Christmas, the oh. Jim Carrey version. It was a long and summer. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. I, I know. So Sarah's so, not a fan. So I watched that over and over again, and then I've seen snippets of some of the other movies, but yeah. not really anything past I think Prisoner of Azkaban. So mm, nice. Um, so that I but then to know that there's so many more layers than what was apparent yeah. with that first movie. Mm-hmm. That's what makes me more inclined to want to go read the And books. I think as a first person who gave up after book number four, I do want to go revisit the rest of the series because it's just too rich. How could I not, you know? I, I will say that from my experience, I saw the first movie mm-hmm. first. And then we were getting on a plane to go to Connecticut. I was in the airport. I was about 16 when the Harry Potter movies came out first. Yeah. And I was like, oh, oh I, I got something to read. And I really saw, oh, Chamber of Secrets. Wait, isn't that the second book? Oh, I'm totally getting that. Nice. <laughs> so I read and fell in love instantly. So I, did, I read second, and then I read Azkaban and devoured it in five days because it mm-hmm. the, it's the best book in the series. To, to me, it's still oh, the see, best book. Oh, see, I love in the four best. Yeah, Goblet of Fire is one we'll Then it took me later. three months to read the fourth one because it's oh, so dude. fucking long. <laughs> they get bigger and bigger yeah. and bigger. It took me two days. Yeah, and then I went <laughs> back and read And because I ran out of Potter... Uh, I had to go back and read the first one so I could be up to speed so that when uh, Order of the Things came out, I was yeah. able to jump on from there. So Yeah, I, I picked the first one up when I was in the third grade, and I read, and then um, I think Azkaban had just come out, so I had the three, and then I had to wait for four through seven. Uh, I remember getting four the day it came out, and then I went to midnight releases for five, six, and seven, and dressed up like Bellatrix Lestrange for book amazing. seven, and then all, actually all of the subsequent movies after that, I pull out my Bellatrix, and it's fantastic. Nice. <laughs> That's awesome. I just remember going to a midnight screening one time, and then biking home at like three in the morning and getting terrified that I was going to get like attacked by a Death Eater. <laughs> you know, well, I, I think a few of us here have a mutual friend who went to um, the premiere of the last movie. Um, and he's kind of, he does a lot of like stage makeup and stuff. Yeah. He actually pulled off a fucking Voldemort. Oh, did he do like liquid latex? I think so. Okay. I've seen people do that. And it looked really good. Yeah. It looked really good. I was just really proud of my Bellatrix every year. (laughs) Did you go about yelling, you filthy off brave? (laughs) I did if people asked me to. (laughs) I could, I also found out that I have a very cackly laugh. And so that added to it. I like how people get uh, dark mark uh, tattoos. (laughs) When I went to the the release of book seven, there was a guy there dressed up. He was dressed up as Harry. Mm Mm-hmm. But he pulled back his sleeve and he had a dark mark tattoo. A, it was the the design from the book, but it was also done in black light ink. Oh, so if shit. you held a light up to it, it glowed. But then if you just looked at it, it just kind of looked like his arm was scarred up. Damn, that's awesome. Damn. Well, I mean, we touched maybe a tenth of what we could talk about. We could talk about Harry Potter for like 10 episodes more than oh, weekly. Oh, yeah. I will I will talk about that for days upon days on yeah. it. Roxy knows. <laughs> yes, so, I do. So, uh, of course, you're always welcome back to <laughs> Wax thank Nerdy you. with us. Thank you. Thank you. So, fucking age. Damn, Gina. Damn, Damn Gina. Gina. Let's get yeah. some feedback, fools. Yes, yeah, indeed. let's do it. Listener feedback. Yeah. 
This message is from RJ. The message is domes, dummies, and douchebags, and alliteration. It says, Dear Nerds, it's hard not to just type dirty shit to Sean in this email. Um, started listening to Nerdonomy podcast a year ago. Mostly nerds on film, but also nerds on history. I've moved back to the Bay Area after a long time away, and I want to say thank you, and I appreciate the San Jose filter through which you seem to present your opinions. Um, particularly enjoy the Chode Reed episode and reminiscing about the Century Theaters. My favorite memory of that complex was actually awaiting the release of Star Wars Episode One, not because of the cinematic brilliance displayed on film or the amazing depth of the Jar Jar Binks character but because <laughs> the impromptu tent city and party that sprung up ahead of the release. Yeah, I remember that. That was awesome. It was pretty awesome and we all cut school and camped out in the parking lot. There were bands, debauchery, and just general awesomeness all over. I've never seen a spontaneous multi-day parking lot ever since. Uh, it was an amazing moment in time. And uh, this is for Sean. A few more words mostly for him. I'm assuming you were contacts. It's the only way your penis could appear as big as it does to you. My penis is so big it walks directly backstage every time we go to Shoreline. I'm stuck <laughs> waiting at the stage door. I've used both Coit Tower and the Eiffel Tower for French ticklers. My penis's jersey number is 69. It will never be retired. <laughs> Seriously, I appreciate the Akbar. I apologize for how tame this message is. Sarcasm and tone don't type well. Keep up the nerd work. <laughs> Wow, that was awesome. That, that was, was a really good poetry dick throwdown. I will say that yes. uh, with to RJ, um, we were probably in the same group because my brother mm. and I were in the opening show of mm -hmm. Star Wars Episode One the day it came out because they didn't do a midnight release at that point. I think at least not oh. for Century Twenty One. Gotcha. I think gotcha, or no, gotcha. maybe, no, maybe it wasn't. We were we were the first ones the day of, so oh, it was, it was nice. like the nine a.m. show. Mm. Nice. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Which one? Okay. Ed, did you want to read Vincent's the first part about Vincent's? He has feedback about the loader, one and two episodes. <laughs> uh, and people will still laugh at him when I said loner. So he said, first off, right off the bat, damn, Gina! <laughs> like, she says, like, Chris Tucker on Friday, so, like, like from early day, damn, Gina! Uh, <laughs> I got a fire, and I got a fire! <laughs> come, come, come on, my man, come on, my man! I got a fire for fire! I got a fire for fire! <laughs> um, sorry. He says, he goes on he to says, say, what wonderful insight on Tolkien's work and world. <laughs> and for someone. Who doesn't do podcasts regularly? Your speech and pitch is pristine. I tell you, Gina, you sound amazing. I coach high school speech and debate, so thank you. <laughs> there we go. You're welcome. Uh, you did a wonderful rendition of the lament of uh, Theodred. Really oh, beautiful. Thank you. And the comparison between Loader's One Ring and Voldemort's Horcruxes is pure genius. Hello. I am smitten, as you are probably are all the other nerds who have listened to this two-part podcast on Tolkien's work. She's single. I am. He says, uh, I don't have a heart on right now, but I'm just very pleased. <laughs> That you guys allow Gina to convey and express her enthusiasm about something she loves very dearly. Yay. Um, and I hope your ears are just tingling now that you've listened to all the Harry Potter yeah. He <laughs> says he has more to say, and we'll get to that. We'll just share that privately with her. Uh, it's nothing dirty, I promise. Um, he does say, however, a correction for Gina. Here it comes. Referring to when you mentioned the Sylvain uh, elves of as Brahmins, i.e. the lowest caste of elves. Brahmins are actually the highest caste in the Hindu religion. Uh, the Untouchables are the lowest caste and are actually mm -hmm. excluded from the Varnas, which is the normal hi the hierarchy of Hindu society. Uh, just a bit of info, so don't offend the billion followers around the world of the future. Yeah, yeah Gina, don't offend everyone. I'm God. sorry. I I <laughs> apologize for that. I was a public school kid. So. <laughs> <laughs> forgive, forgive well, me. Forgive me. Of, there, we talked about how like Brahmin, Brahmin, and Brahma. Like, there's a yeah. lot of. Like, I I there. anyone I could have possibly offended with that. I very much apologize. I'm sorry for my my lack of knowledge on that and making that comparison. Yeah. It's okay. Uh, he did also have some constructive feedback for mm -hmm. us and uh, we won't go into all the details of it because it's he actually gave us a, a lot yeah thank um, you vincent you're the best we, we always appreciate the constructive feedback uh, he basically said that for a long story short it's getting a little too crass and funny mm -hmm. and not enough of the info and we yeah. agree with that we agree yeah. with sean sean's even said he agrees that we, yeah. he can be more informative and less uh, so here's the plan. joke. Here's the plan. We're gonna work our hardest moving forward to bring you guys better content. Yep. And we, you know, take it upon ourselves to want to come into this with, you know, the knowledge that it takes yeah. to do a show like this. Absolutely. And there will be some episodes where it'll be Sarah's episode to shine. Sometimes it'll be uh, Roxy's episode to shine. Sometimes yeah. it'll be my episode to shine. What we want to make sure that we bring to the table. We want to make sure that we're all equally nerding sure. out. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. So. Sounds good. Thanks, yes, guys. Indeed. Oh, um, on the Facebook, we got a really funny link from a listener, Athena, and it was basically just a bunch of Photoshop pictures of Robert Downey Jr.'s face on pinups. And yeah. um, I so geeked out. I loved it. Yeah, yeah, it was, um, well, it can we also hot. share the tweet that we got from Krista this week? Oh, yeah. Krista says... 
is. Oh shit, sorry. Um, here it is. Oh yeah, well, Tom from Australia says, Gina, you're hot, and he <laughs> cried. That's, that's a lie. I yeah. saw that tweet. <laughs> so Christina says, um, enjoying the damn Gina episodes, and I realize every time Big Sean, Big Sean Mo talks, I want to find <laughs> Brian and hug him. And then Brian responded with, for what, putting up with him for all these years? And Christina says, yes, your childhood must have been uh, dot, 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 interesting. And to which Sean <laughs> replied, if by interesting, do you mean him having to apologize for what I had to say all the time? Then yes. <laughs> so, Just another Mo Bro moment. <laughs> indeed. And he is missed, even though he couldn't be here for this episode. But you know what? He'll be back, as we yeah. all will. He's just uh, busy doing awesome beer stuff. Just not beer fair. Being and you, beer man. And we, as always, we love all the feedback. So if you want to give us feedback, you can do it a couple ways. You can, of course, do what Chris did and tweet us at Twitter, at Neuronomy, or on our Facebook accounts. Or you can go to Neuronomy.com and click on that Talk to Us link. Yeah. And Roxy, mm. tell us, what can you do Neuronomy.com other than just you know, listen to our stuff and you know get give us your feedback. t-shirts get your t-shirts get your audible subscriptions which is through amazon and so if you subscribe to audible it's audible.com backslash nerdonomy audible trial audible backslash nerdonomy and through that we get a little bit of a slice of the profits and i will say audible.com is a great service i have it myself and when, with your first subscription you get it for free so you can pick any book out of their entire you know uh, book library o- library bookography <laughs> their entire <laughs> library <laughs> um and just just have at it man i'm halfway through outlander right now and like my girds are yeah. loined, or my loins are girdled. I don't yes. know. Your man. loins are girded. <laughs> yes. Is the term they you're are. looking for? You are. Girdled. I'm like, why would you want to girdle they your were loins? boiling last week. This week they're girdled. Like I think yeah. you need to get something checked out. I need uh, to go to the doctor, lady. But yeah. it's like the lady. <laughs> I just want to just, yeah, what's coming out of there. But uh, anyway, what is English? I don't know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you can it's do lots getting of things. Late. Yeah, you can do lots of things with our website, and most of the just donate no 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 donation is too little too big it's wonderful agreed and uh you can also you can also through paypal give us a monthly pledge if you want to as well like some of our listeners have done so tune into us next time same nerd time same nerd channel nerdonomy.com bye see ya and roll credits Famous movie quotes you should not say during sex. What happened down in the dungeon with you and Professor Quirrell is a complete secret. Ew, that's so creepy.